last rap of the year. Welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast with Galaxy Research. We always outlast, but we're running to beat first. We thirst for the future, burst through the fray, and I'm cursing the haters every verse that I say. Yo, this is for the party going down at my house, flipping out, sending Bitcoin to the sky now. We're feeling good here, and we've had a good run, but we just begun, and our job is never done. Now we're living YOLO, hanging out with Novo, always rolling deep, you will never see me solo. Signal in the sky, putting out a bolo, bouncing around the room like a yo-yo, yo-yo. Flow so hard like a river when I'm raging. Someone call the doctor, cause I'm sicker than a patient. Just one thing I gotta say before we jet, the best is yet to come. Don't you ever forget on Galaxy Brain. Always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of FirmWide Research at Galaxy. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. This is our last show of the year, and we have a great one for you. Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy, is our guest. We're going to go deep with it uh, into a whole bunch of stuff with Mike. It's a really fun interview. I hope you'll enjoy it. BIMnet is off this week. And before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Man, this is the last episode of 2023. It has been a wild year. Thank you so much to our listeners for coming on this journey with us. And don't worry, we'll be back next year for another huge year. Let's get right into it with Mike Novogratz. Let's go now to our guest, Mike Novogratz, CEO and founder of Galaxy Digital. Mike, thanks for coming back to Galaxy Brands. I'm all excited. It's been a big year. We started at 16.5 on Bitcoin. I think we're over 44,000 at the time we're recording this. I mean, what's how's that feel? <laughs> <laughs> it feels a lot better than it did uh, a year ago. I got a, a text from a uh, a mentor and kind of a legend in the investing space, and he said, Novo, you do a real good job on t- TV, but I like to see you more when Bitcoin's on the lows than 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 doing victory laps on the highs. <laughs> he was referencing my my interview at CNBC yesterday. Yeah, you were you were very positive, rightly so. Though it's been people thought we were dead. You know, people thought crypto had a shot of an existential uh, death last year uh, for maybe good reason, right? There was Sam Bankman-Fried and all the fraud, and if you think at the core of what the decentralized crypto Bitcoin revolution all was about was taking trust away from institutions and and sharing it in communities. And like the blockchain, which is supposed to be a trust machine, all of a sudden looked to the outsider like, we can't trust this at all. It's a fraud machine. And, you know, it took explaining and patience and a really, 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 and shout out to the, the, the crypto community, resilient community to say, no, 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 no. Those were, those were examples of centralized businesses operating in the crypto sphere that were either horrifically managed, fraudulently managed, stupidly managed, uh, not managed, but it brought a lot of, you know, shame and bad will to our industry. Yeah. And, you know, the broom comes out and that broom is the DOJ and CFTC and SEC and the market and has pushed most of those players either off the field or into jail. And, you know, what's emerged is a healthier industry, still not where we need it to be, uh, but much healthier. Mm-hmm. Prices are reflecting that. Uh, the spirit of employees at our firm and other firms is reflecting that. 
the amount of accounts that are interested, institutional accounts, retail accounts is reflecting that. And so I don't want to say we're back, baby, mm -hmm. but we, we've come a long way, baby. Yeah, it, it's been really a ride this year. What we're, speaking of, while we talk about this, what were some of the big moments in your mind in the like sort of crypto market this year? So like just this year? I would say Larry Fink being orange-pilled. Right, you see old videos of him from five, six years ago where he was a Bitcoin skeptic and he's now saying it's going to be part of everyone's portfolio when BlackRock's the largest asset manager. Uh, Invesco Galaxy, we're going to try to knock them off the, the ETF pedestal or at least, you know, be a good battler, uh, competitor in that space. And I think that's important because you're going to have nine, ten, maybe, you know, firms trying to, you know, build ETF products. That's nine, ten sales forces going out and telling the Bitcoin story. Mm -hmm. And after that, they'll tell the Ethereum story and probably the Solana story. And so we're going to bring institutional capital into a space which has been dominated by retail. So that's exciting. Yep. I would say that was one. I would say CZ settling was a big, big deal, right? There was all this FUD around Binance and are they another FDX and is he a crook and are they stealing your money and do they have the money? And... and while he admitted to to crimes and he will, you know, both pay a giant fee and, and maybe serve some time, you know, for his sake, I hope not. What they got him on was KYC AML violations. And, and I would say, listen, I don't know all the details and so I don't want to look on that case in particularly. Mm -hmm. But I would say when crypto started in the first surge in the 2016, 17, 18, there was a real belief amongst the, the participants that everyone had a right to access these ecosystems, right? That was one of the ethos. And so guys like Arthur Hayes, who also, you know, paid a penalty and, 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 and went through the, the DOJ process, uh, but most of the firms didn't have KYC. And then they realized, oh, I've created money printing machines. I don't want to lose my capacity to make a living. I don't want to lose my capacity to be part of this community. And so they quickly hired lawyers, hired regulators, hired people to try to build in protections to their to their uh, firms. Some did it better than others. Yeah. Um, but a lot of what people have been uh, criticized and, and, and prosecuted for happened five, six, seven years ago. Right when the industry was a lot more nascent. And today, I'm sure some still goes on, uh, but more and more of the players have really robust systems because they don't want to go to jail. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I didn't see any allegations in any of the Binance documents that anything like that has happened recently. I think it's mostly from like 1819 are the allegations. Um, and so I, I would say it's probably pretty likely the vast majority of liquidity today is KYC at this point. Well, certainly the, in the U.S., the we other, know that. But. Certainly in the U.S. The other piece is, and, and this is a good lesson in business building, is some of these businesses got built so quickly right. and you're hiring so many people that it takes a long time to inculcate a culture of don't do stupid. And so I was actually talking to CZ, I don't know, four weeks before he, he, he pled uh, in Dubai and uh, we were laughing. I mean, he had, I don't know, at that point, 8,000 and gone down to 6,000 employees. And, you know, we're 450. And I was like, when we got 450 people, there's a knucklehead out there that's going to send some stupid tweet to his friend 
uh, and you just got to keep hammering on your company culture. Uh, a, that you're your brother's keepers, to look to the guy to your left and right and just remind him that you're working for a company and there's an ethos of the company. And don't do stupid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that came out in there, their, the, the findings, right, you know, was just really stupid tweets. Yeah. Or and not chats, tweets, but chats, chats. Yeah. chats. And so, you know, we live in a world where everything gets recorded somehow. Uh, and so you really <laughs> got to inculcate a, a culture of take a beat before you tweet, take a beat before you send yeah. a chat, before you send an email. Yeah. One other event. What about the the banking sort of crisis in March? Was that how did that feel looking at it? I mean, Bitcoin had a pretty strong rally as yeah, those banks listen, were having I mean, issues. The banking crises, I think, is an underrated reason why the equity markets on the highs, where everything recovered so fast, because the Fed does what they do. They flooded the market with liquidity. They were like, we will. And. They wrote the put. We will not let anyone go bust. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that was a psychological win for the crypto community. A, there was liquidity. But B, it was like you started in this business because you were skeptical of centralized institutions. And we now just – with all the arrogance of the Fed – uh, and our regulators, we had a regulated bank uh, go boom overnight. You know, we have a system that these banks are really highly levered, non-mark-to-market hedge funds Yep. that have a quasi-guarantee, a maybe or maybe not guarantee from the government. So would I rather have my money in a Silicon Valley bank or would I like it in a stable coin backed by treasury bills, especially if they paid interest? Mm. And so, like, the the great product, which the Fed won't allow at this point because all of a sudden it would really cut the banks at the knees, would be a, an interest-bearing stablecoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people are trying to work on it. What you forget is there's about – God, I think this number's right – $2 trillion of cash out there. Yeah. That's $2 trillion that the Fed doesn't pay interest on. It's almost like they've got a $2 trillion version of Circle. It's crazy. Uh, or tether. Just circulating with no yeah. eyes on it and yeah. no. I got I got a thousand bucks cash sitting on my desk. There's no. I'm not getting my five percent on that. Right. Uh, but you you could, might have your. You could be. Yeah. Right. You might have your money in J P Morgan or J, uh, or uh, Bank of America. Hopefully not J P Morgan. Yeah. Hopefully not J P Morgan. <laughs> but J P Morgan or or or, or Bank no. of America or any bank in America, and in checking you're getting one basis point interest, and in savings you're getting one basis point interest. And so all this free float, which subsidizes our banks, which subsidizes the federal government to some degree, uh, in a world of efficiency where you would have every citizen with a wallet and the stable coin would collect interest, Mm -hmm. that float goes away. Right. And so one of the reasons I got into crypto was I think this is the most progressive industry. It's like progressive plus libertarian some weird, like, you know, funny baby uh, <laughs> of left and right. But it has the capacity to really bring money and resource to the masses in a much more fair way, right? And so it hasn't yet. You know, it's made small inroads, but really it hasn't lived up to its potential yet. Yeah. But that's the reason I got into the thing. Since you bring this up, I was going to ask this later, but let's go into this. You're talking about progressives and libertarians. We, I think most people are well aware of the 
uh, libertarian ethos behind, you know, Chancellor on the brink of bailout for second, second bailout for banks, right, which is what Satoshi wrote in the first block of Bitcoin. But let's talk about the progressive argument. I think you're, you're alluding to sort of a, you know, actually, historically, if I thought of, if you asked me what political party people on Wall Street would be, it'd be uniformly Republican as a child. Like, that's what I would have thought said. It doesn't seem true now, particularly with what we're seeing, you know, in, in Congress, which we'll get into. But you're, you're a Democrat. You're one of the most well-known Democrats on Wall Street, right? You have been. Um, I would that tell you statement? that I would think most of the people I've met are either center-left or center-right. And it's, they're not that far apart. Right. Um, most rational people tend to be center left or center right. I shifted from center left towards progressive for a while because I was like, whoa, in 30 years, the rich poor gap has just gotten immense mm -hmm. from the time I graduated from college. In the last 12 years, the cost of a house in America has gone from 190,000 to 390,000. It's harder and harder for people in the bottom 70% to to actually fulfill their dreams. And I thought we need to do some more radical things. I don't think we should do them inefficiently. I don't think we should do them where markets don't play a part. And so you can call me progressive, you can call me center left. I think crypto had that capacity to help. I think it still does. What has been freaking infuriating is it's the progressive wing that doesn't see it that way, that doesn't wanna see it that way. And I tell you, I've been in DC a lot recently most people you meet with, they don't see this as partisan. That's good to hear because I was going to ask what this wing of the Democratic Party's problem, what is their problem with crypto? It doesn't, I don't I understand I have it. not gotten it explained to me and I've asked, I've asked a ton of people. It's only used for bad stuff. It's only rich guys made money. Uh, the poor guys lost all their money. I was like, that's actually not the case. This, this is the, the first revolution where it started with the little guy. Matter right. of fact, I was like one of the only institutional. Dan Moore, there were a few yeah. players that got in early. Right. Very Most of the people got in early. You never heard their names. I mean, right now, if you do the math, if you had dollar cost averaged Bitcoin every day for like the last three years, even bought the top in 21, you're still in profit. Like, right? So like yeah. the average guy could put $5 a day into, into, into Bitcoin. You'd, you'd have made money and none of on, us, over any time and frame. And none of us have ever, ever tried to argue that there was no fraud that right. there were no bad actors, that there were no rug pulls. And or that spoofs. it's a panacea for everything. No one has. Yeah. The, and there was a mania. There's manias in lot. There was a mania in Beanie Babies. There was a mania in NFTs. There's a mania in certain meme stocks. There's, uh, yeah. You know, that that's human nature. Yeah. And so it's been frustrating. She has been disingenuous. The SEC alongside her has been disingenuous. And I do think it comes to an end, right? We've got an election either... The Republicans will win or the Democrats win. I think there's a change in, in leadership in Treasury and in SEC and either way. And so we probably have another 15 months to, you know, or even 11 months to, to yeah. an anchor down and, and just grind it out. But what is promising is the broad Congress wants to get something done. Yeah, it's it's um, I, I hope that we get something. And it's just wild to see the the creator of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Senator Warren, <laughs> yeah. which is born out of the Occupy Wall Street movement and the great financial crisis, is now working directly with the Bank Policy Institute and the American Bank Association to write bills that they want. I, Isn't that strange? I, I tweeted something yesterday which got a lot of traction. I was like, it's, it, it's almost heartbreaking to see someone who came to Washington with good intention get corrupted by power. And that's all I can, I mean, I've literally watched Elizabeth Warren's career from the time she got here. 
And she came with good intention, right? She was going to protect the little guy. And it's now it's all about her all the time. Every soundbite to be, to be in the news. She's not passed one bill. And so has not been an effective legislator. She's been an allowed, a loud legislator. Uh, but And I see that across the board in D.C. It is so frustrating that the narcissism of politics. I mean, I'm in an industry with a lot of narcissists, right? Line up 13 billionaires and it's a degree of narcissism, right? right? We all, like, you, you, when you have power, you have some narcissism. I get it. Anyone with a Twitter account is, is got, or an X account has got some narcissism, <laughs> right? But it, it pales in compared to the politicians. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. I wanted to ask you, Mike, about, you, you had mentioned this on criminal justice. You're well known for being a, a big patron of the bail project, right? What is that? What other criminal justice issues are you into? I know this is a bit of an aside. Let me tell you, at one, point, at one point, crypto and bail were two of the most unpopular subjects in America. <laughs> I was like, how did I pick those two? Um, <laughs> listen, stepping back, we have a criminal justice system that is not just, that is not fair, that's not economic, that's not moral. And as I stumbled into it, just literally because my daughter was working for a the Bronx Defenders in the summer and started talking about what she was seeing and I got more involved and I made a bunch of money in Ethereum in 2017 and decided to put some of it to, to philanthropic use. I just got more angry. And so I am the chairman of the board of the Bail Project. We're the largest bail organization in America. We both are a direct service. We've bailed out over 30,000 people and we've been working to change the laws. The reality is tonight, 450,000 people will go to bed in a jail cell, having been arrested but not convicted. And if they had any money, they would not be sitting in that jail cell. And they sit there until they plea out. And the longer they stay in jail, the larger the chance of them being criminalized, right? Both jail suicides, jail death, jail, jail rapes, all happen, quite frankly, in the first 45, 50 days someone's in jail, right? Jail, for people who don't know, is one year and under prison is one year and over. And I'm not saying everyone deserves to not spend time in jail or not, not have their freedom reprimanded, right? They're, they're, sure. they're, it's not bail out anybody, but, but we've got the majority of people sitting in jail can't afford $2,500. That's the average bail the bail project pays. So it's not like we're paying eight, eight, eight hundred. Yeah, you're not getting like accused serial killers or murderers right. out, right? And, and listen, we have a, a whole system you go visit prisons, you're like, you cannot believe the conditions people live in. Uh, there's nothing about rehabilitation in our space. Uh, and so I'm also on the board of the Reform Alliance with Jay-Z and Michael Rubin and Bob Kraft working on probation and parole laws. We just passed a huge law in Pennsylvania. Shout out to the Reform Alliance. I've got our own group of fellows are called Galaxy Leaders, uh, where we have now 50, 50, 60 people that work in the field that we've given fellowship, two-year fellowships to. And so literally I spent a huge amount of my time and resource trying to change both the narrative and the actual laws. Uh, we've got a long way to go there. Yeah, it sounds like a good cause, Mike. Um, let's let's shift gears again. I want to go back to macro and crypto. You talk about the Fed too. Um, it's been a big year in rates, <laughs> right, and in Fed policy. Yeah, <laughs> listen, the Fed right now. Have they regained their credibility? Do they have credibility? I, what, how would you rate the Fed this year? So the hardest part about when people talk about central banks is it's a two-person partnership. It's the central bank and the government and the treasury. It's really not the treasury. It's the central bank and the Congress that together create 
economic policy or, 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 or to whoever are the stewards of your economy. Powell can be criticized for waiting to raise rates too long. I think that's now consensus. He waited. The bubble got a little hotter than it needed to get. Uh, probably good for you guys who rode the last few months of crypto 2021. <laughs> um, but allowed inflation to take off. Yeah. He then came out with a golden hammer and it literally bashed us on the head with, you know, five and a quarter percent rate hikes, 25 basis points at a time. That's a lot of rate hikes. And I think right now he's looking pretty uh, good. Inflation is coming down really quick. That's one of the big surprises of the year. It's come down faster than we all thought it would. Um, so inflation's come down. Growth has stayed pretty good. We keep the mistake a lot of macro guys made this year is keep thinking growth's going to fall off a cliff. It's going to roll over, and it hasn't. It hasn't for a couple reasons, right? You get real recessions when you have unemployment. Right. And employment is still tight. There's a secular reason, right? Baby boomers are finally getting old enough to stop working. And my generation, well, I'm actually a baby boomer by 31 days, which just is like the bane of, <laughs> bane of my God. That is a existence. crime. It, it really is painful. <laughs> I identify as Gen Z. Uh, <laughs> but Gen X right, is the, is the, that in between is the lowest population group mm -hmm. we've ever had in America, uh, the baby busters. And so, you know, you're, 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 you're aging people out of the workforce, one. Construction, you know, after 08, we stopped building houses. We have this huge deficit of housing in America, tens of millions of houses that we need to build. And so the construction industry, which is by far the most cyclical, usually lays off the most people, isn't laying people off because they got too many houses to build. And so the construction industry is holding in. Autos, often cyclical, right? We went through a period where uh, used car prices skyrocketed because you couldn't get a new car, so you bought a used car. Uh, you just saw the, the auto unions just went, to, you know, went, to, went on strike and got a wonderful new deal. You don't do that unless there's a lot of demand, right? You don't right. strike when they're going to fire you. That's a good point. And so <laughs> people aren't getting fired in the auto industry. And so the two, the two big industries that usually create unemployment aren't creating unemployment. The biggest thing that I think people missed was, and one of the reasons I love Bitcoin, is our government, starting with Trump before COVID, accelerating during COVID, handing off the baton of irresponsible spending to Biden. Biden put that right in his teeth and started running... Like, you know, it's like the, it's like the Jamaican relay of bad spending. Uh, we now spend 25% of GDP federally. That number is supposed to be 20. I worked at the White House in 1984 to give you an idea how old I am. Uh, it was my first real job. I'm a GS4 working office and managing a budget. And I learned really clearly 20% spending and we try to tax 20. And when we do the together, we balance the budget. It happened in 1999. Shout out to Bill Clinton. Only time in my life we had the balanced budget. Kind of crazy. It's wild. Uh, but it's 20%. Now we're normalized 25% spending. I was in D.C. I was talking to some Congress. They didn't even know what it was supposed to be. I was like, you got to be kidding. Now, the smart guys know exactly. We've normalized 25% spending. We are planning on a 6% budget deficit next year. We're at full employment, and this is insanity. This would be the time you should not have any at all. Uh, this is insanity. And it's going to get harder and harder to get up. We're going to have a trillion dollars of interest payments. That's 4% of GDP. And so we're at that point where the only way out of this 
is to debase your currency some. What the central bank's got to try to do, and I think Powell is doing this, you want to talk tough or 2%, 2% and allow 3.5%, 4%. Yeah. That's how you slowly inflate away your debt. Remember, that year at 10% inflation, that inflated away a bunch of debt. Oh, yeah? But what does that also do? It erodes your purchasing power. Yeah, yeah. In 2012, you could buy a house in this country for $190,000. In 2023, the average house is 390. That's it has doubled in 12 years. It's unbelievable. That's insanity. So if you're a young kid coming out of school, you're screwed. Yeah, it stinks if you happen to graduate right in 2009. But let me tell you, <laughs> if you bought Bitcoin in 2010 oh. or 2012, yeah. Uh, you're you've, doing pretty good. Pro you've protected your purchasing power yeah. against inflation. I mean, that's the simple argument for Bitcoin. Yeah. And yeah, I'm cherry picking the low, but well, but, actually, but if you, you look could pretty almost much at any time. do it any time. Yeah. And so the question just will be, what's the cost of the house going to be in 2030? And is is your dollar plus its five percent interest going to keep up? Or are you going to need to have some other assets? It's not just Bitcoin. Like it's Bitcoin. I think silver and gold will go. It's other cryptos. It's equities. So equities go when database currency because yeah. everything is worth less. So the price goes higher. Yeah, it's like the base asset loses yeah. value. So anything you price in it should be worth more. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Bitcoin and macro. Um, you, you talk to a lot of macro traders. You are a well-known macro trader. You mentioned you and Dan Moorhead did this trade years ago. Almost nobody else did. Or you guys were probably probably a relatively small group chat back then. The group chat has expanded now, has it not? Yeah, listen. You're not alone anymore. What's wonderful about certainly Bitcoin is it's now just on the macro dashboard. I'm sure when I walk into any macro trader, they've got crude and 10-year and gold and silver and probably the corn price and 10 years and JGBs and Bitcoin. Yeah. And so it's a macro asset. It most of those funds play it through CME futures. Some, we had a big account recently buy a whole bunch of Bitcoin cash with us. That makes me really happy. You mean spot Bitcoin. Spot Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, not Bitcoin cash. <laughs> <laughs> the altcoin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spot Bitcoin, yep. Spot Bitcoin with yep. us. Um, I think when the ETF <laughs> shows up, that will be the weapon of choice. Yeah. Why? Because it's easy. It'll have liquidity. It's the same broker, uh, same brokerage account. Uh, they'll get margin on it. Yep. Uh, and so I think you'll see a lot more, both long, short equity funds, macro funds, institutional funds participate because it's easy. So the, the room is big. What about some, do you know, some peers of yours, whether in like trading or, or investing or just not that should like Bitcoin and crypto or, or, or explicitly don't like, how are you talking to these? What are you hearing from them? Like, are any of them rolling over recently? And yeah, listen, I think most people now recognize it. So I remember I used to have conversations with some of the biggest fund managers in the world, right? Ray Dalio is a perfect example. Right. I remember trying to orange pill that guy over and over. <laughs> it made zero sense for on a $160 billion hedge fund to have a position in an asset that was yo big. Right. And so only at a half a trillion, a trillion dollars and real liquidity does any asset make sense for big portfolios, for the real big ones. Right. And so we have grown into, we're now big enough for anyone. We weren't when we were a $200 billion asset. We just weren't. Right. Right. Or a hundred billion dollar asset. But as a trillion dollar asset, it's now big enough for almost anyone. And so 
I think you're going to see, I would say, what's the difference between Bitcoin and gold? If they got the same macro story, and so I can talk about macro, the gold adoption story happened over 3,000 years. It ain't going anywhere. The Bitcoin adoption story is in its first, it's the second decade, and it's picking up steam. And so what I mean by adoption is that people see it as a viable asset. What drives me freaking crazy is when Elizabeth Warren or Jamie Dimon or, you know, at times Janie Yellen said, well, I don't really see value in it. I was like, the gall, the arrogance that since you don't see value, there's no value. But Abby Johnson, well, she must be stupid, <laughs> right? Stan Druckenberg, stupid. Ray Dalio, dumb. Uh, Jeff Yoss, dumb. Pete Berger, dumb. Like the arrogance, you're looking at some of the best investors that have walked this earth that say, hey, there's some value in it, right? Bitcoin's value is the social construct. I say it has value, you say it has value, therefore it has value. I don't care what Elizabeth Warren says. Quite frankly, I don't care what Jamie Dimon says. Right. And they have been proven wrong, and the group of people that care about it have been proven right. Don't think you're smarter than the market. Yeah. <laughs> the market value. And listen, it. you can decide I don't want to buy it. Warren Buffett decided totally. he didn't like it. Charlie Munger, you know, God rest his soul, passed away hating Bitcoin. Uh, they were wrong in the, in the time frame to operate. It doesn't matter. Charlie Munger made so much money, he went to... I'm sure he passed away with the biggest smile on his face. He was a great mentor to people. You don't have to be in every, no. you don't have to be in every asset, right? I wish I bought Apple stock 20 years ago. I remember buying a bunch of it. I sat with Peter Thiel one day and he convinced this group of people that Apple, Microsoft, Google, these weren't tech stocks, they were monopolies. And I was like, it just clicked. Every once in a while an idea clicks. And so I went out and bought a bunch of it, all of it. And it had a great year. They were probably all up 30% that year. And I sold them all. <laughs> that was 2014. Yeah. How has uh, it done since then? It's shocking. <laughs> Once you realize something is a monopoly, you never sell it. Yeah. Um, okay, just a couple more quick questions, Mike. One, um, just looking forward to the next year for Galaxy. And you founded Galaxy in 2018. Well, I guess technically in 2017. But it really, you guys really started 2018. It's been through a lot. I joined you three years ago. What are you looking forward to? for in the future with Galaxy? Hire more guys like this guy. Um, listen, we started to be an institutional player in this space, and we were early, and, you know, listen, I'm proud that we have survived, and we've grown our balance sheet tremendously. By, we started with a $500 million, well, really $300 million balance sheet uh, with only raising a tiny amount of capital. We're now close to $1.9 billion in balance sheet. We'd been higher before the, <laughs> the sell-off. But we've done a great job of preserving. Because you remember, that's paying salaries. That's paying ex expenses. That's paying tax. That's, you know, a lot has come out. Uh, employees have gotten wealthier. And all that's been funded by our investment prowess. At the same time, we are building four to five really key businesses. Our mining business is humming, which I'm really proud of in uh uh, down in Texas, um, the Helios operation, uh, doing a great job. Shout out Helios. Shout out Helios. Uh, you know, I think staking as a service, market making as a service, 2024 should be big years for those businesses. Our derivative business is wonderful. Uh, had a great year. I think we're the biggest in derivatives at this point. You know, I always, be, I'm careful about superlatives. Fair. We're certainly in we, that. Yeah, we can't actually know, too. Yeah. It's over-the-counter stuff is private. But we yeah, are yeah. we are a, a go-to player in the derivative yeah. market. And in spot, too. We're a go-to maker in spot. Uh, our credit business has been very well run. 
We want to expand that. Um, we have an investment banking business no one else does. Uh, 2023 was an okay year. A lot of people wanted to get done deals, not a lot of deals getting done, not a lot of capital coming into the space. Mm -hmm. A lot more optimistic for 2024. Our asset management business went from I don't know a billion seven to five billion in assets, winning the you know the the FDX mandates. That was a big deal for us uh, emotionally it, because the group looked at everybody and they said these guys know what they're doing. Uh, I always wanted us to be the smart guys in the room. We've hired a lot of smart guys, and you know I kind of think now is our time. As institutions move in, we need to be. They're a player. And listen, we're not a Bitcoin-only shop as much as sometimes this guy loves to be. He, he's at his core of no. Max. <laughs> you got to stay grounded, you know? Yeah. Well, if it was a Bitcoin-only shop, we'd have 50 people, Yeah. Uh, not 465 people. Uh, for Galaxy to succeed, the crypto ecosystem has to succeed. Multiple tokens have to be important. Tokenization of other assets has to happen. Stable coins has to become more important. Like, that's what we're building. Yeah. Don't buy our stock if you don't think that's going to happen buy our stock if you think it's going to happen. Uh, I'm still a believer. I want to see some of the Web3 stuff get traction. Yeah. Uh, if there's been one frustration, it's been we don't have blockchain ticketing yet. We don't have we don't have a lot of these decentralized systems that I was hoping we'd have by now, but I haven't lost faith. We do have more progress on tokenization, I think, than ever before. I've been looking at that since 2017 myself. Yeah. And, and I used to joke there were more, at one point, there were more, more token issuance platforms than there were token issuances. But now we have treasuries on chain from major real-world asset managers. You've got stable coins are, frankly, globally important. They're widely used around the globe, right? So we a lot of progress has been made on, on some we're of these. We're getting there. And I kind of think this might be one of those things that it, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and then it happens all at once. Yeah. And there is a then suddenly, sort of. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not as smart as you. I knew that was out there somewhere. <laughs> and so, listen, 2024 is going to be, a, I think, an important year. I really think 2025 is the year where crypto goes. Oh, interesting. Maybe not in price, but I think it takes that long, right? We won't have regulation, I don't think, in 2024. We might, 5 10% chance, we'll get it in 2025. Yeah. And we need regulation. We just do. The election is in 11 months, and so... Then it takes four or five months. So you're you're really yeah. mid-25. I think that's probably when you see these tokenization things start getting to critical mass. And so in some ways, 2024 is going to look a little bit like 2023, with the exception of this giant fire hose called ETF mm -hmm. bringing new capital into the space. And what that capital does is, is allows people the time to keep investing in the projects that actually change the way people live, right? Bitcoin can change the way people save and protect their wealth. But it's not going to change the way the financial system operates, right? The Bitcoin and other money coming into the space allows me to hire people. It allows my peers to hire people. Right. It, it gives us breathing space to actually build out this revolution. And so thanks to Larry Fink. And, and actually, to be fair, I got to give it a shout to the, the Grayscale team for fighting that. And that, that lawsuit really was like, I don't think the SEC is doing this because they want to. Yeah. Uh, Their hand was kind of forced, it yeah. appears, by that ruling. I'm going to segue into this because I've got to ask you about your outfit. It's a magnificent uh, sweatsuit here you're wearing. It says, I were wrestling. It's got, it's signed. Is it, are you wearing, uh, first of all, you were, I was a wrestler. You were, you were the captain of the Princeton wrestling team, And once team, a wrestler, right? always wrestler. I still yeah. identify myself as a wrestler <laughs> yeah. before a Wall Street guy. Like, what do you have a wrestler? Oh, I actually work on Wall Street, too. 
Um, <laughs> it's a sport that defines who you are when you're in it. It's a sport of toughness. It's a sport of leadership. Two of my favorite characters in the sport, uh, Tom and Terry Brands, are the coaches at Iowa. Tom was a gold medalist in the Olympics. Terry was a bronze medalist in the Olympics, was the best in the world. It's a long and painful story of, a, of him not being a, an Olympic medalist. They both were national champions at Iowa. They're the two guys I've met in my life that I think were born with the most testosterone. <laughs> they are maniacs. I can only imagine them as kids. Anyways, they, they were the guys that, that gave me the mission to bring energy to wrestling. They're like, no, you gotta bring energy to wrestling. And so I had an event and next thing you know, I'm throwing it in the middle of Times Square and Grand Central Station, this organization I sort of beat the streets. Mm -hmm. like, I didn't start, I, I, being a group of people started, really blew up. Yeah. And uh, so they sent me this for Christmas. I uh, love that. Uh, actually, they didn't send it, they would, they would never, they're not the kind of guys that would, you know, put their names on something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A woman that works for their organization wanted to do something nice for me since I bought some uh, theater tickets for some of their kids. And uh, she had them sign these things and send it to me. So shout out Iowa Wrestling. Toughest, uh, toughest state in America. Are they, is, that, is that the best? Are they the not, top? They're not the best. They, they, they're, they're traditionally one of the two or three best programs in the, in the country. They used to dominate. Now yeah. Penn State dominates. But they have the toughest culture. You're a trader and an investor. Does wrestling come into that? Are you All wrestling the, the markets? No, it, it, wrestling teaches you how to lose and get back up. You can't be a trader and think you're going to be 99 and 1. If you're 60, 40, you're a zillionaire. If you're 55, 45, you're a billionaire, right? If you're 51, 49, and you do it well enough, you're a billionaire. Like, it's, it's a business you need to learn to lose and get tough and be resilient and come back to work. And you learn that in wrestling every single day. Sounds like something we learn in crypto, too. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it, there's a great, uh, you know, my theme song was from Shumbawamba. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Yep. Ain't nobody going to hold me down. That's, that's a wrestling ethos. I think it should be our ethos too, Mike. Shumbawamba Mike. Galaxy theme song. <laughs> Mike Novogratz, CEO, Chairman of Galaxy Digital. Thank you so much, Mike. Alex, thanks a ton. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thank you to my guest, Mike Novogratz, founder and CEO of Galaxy. And again, to all of our listeners for following and being with us this year through what has really been a crazy and wild run. I know next year is going to be huge for Bitcoin and for cryptocurrency and for Galaxy. I hope you'll join us to keep following on Galaxy Brains. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email. Read our content at galaxy.com slash research and follow us on Twitter at GLXY Research. See you next week.